Good evening. <laughs> Beautiful song. Uh, let's turn to, to our Bibles, uh, Acts chapter 6. Uh, begin reading there in Acts chapter 6. Thank Pastor Ingram. I want to thank Pastor Ingram for the opportunity to preach. and uh, It's always good to be uh, with our church family anytime we can get together. I was thinking about Sunday's message, just chatting with Pastor for a few minutes Sunday evening. Um, the message he preached to us uh, just concerning um, on this idea of on mission with God's vision. I believe it was the Sunday morning service. I should know this because it wasn't that far along. But um, the message really resonated with me about our attitude going forward in this year. And I told Pastor, I said, the Marine and me, oftentimes looking at our nation and the state where we're in, I can get adversarial very fast. And I realize that's not a Christ-like virtue. Uh, it's love, it's kindness, it's understanding. And when you study the lives of all the martyrs that have gone before, well, the martyrs that have, or the Christians that have gone before us and even the, the first century New Testament church, um, you realize that they were very confident in Christ, not arrogant, um, very firm in their walk with the Lord. And when you read their lives, you think it was almost too easy for them to lay their life down. I know that's not true, but when you read how they were so willing to lay down their life for Christ, I realize the greatest gap between my life and a life like that that I read about and so I was just thankful for his insight and just the sermon he preached to us. I, I said, there's a lot of independent fundamental Baptists that wouldn't want that message preached because it makes it feel like you're passive, but it's not. It's, it's a life that the Lord would be honored to, to look upon. And some of that is in line with tonight. We'll be looking at um, Acts chapter 6. And so if you would, let's stand together. We'll read the first a few verses of Acts chapter 6. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, Is it not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables? Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. These are key uh, attributes, by the way. Not necessarily preaching on these attributes, but just listen to the kind of men that they were looking for among their church. Men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased." And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. I love this statement that comes next. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. They found, they found the real Lamb of God and served Him. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And they're kind of couched there in a transition before it gets into the life of Stephen. We see this statement about Stephen, this verse. A man full of faith and power. He did great wonders and miracles among the people. I'd like to preach tonight on this, uh, this man, Stephen, the witness of Stephen. 
Lord God, thank you for the opportunity to be in church tonight. And Lord, thank you for the families that are here and the homes represented. And I ask God that you would help us, uh, Lord, this year, uh, Lord, to truly embrace as we endeavor to do each year our, our theme. Uh, but Lord, not only are we looking at our inner man, we want to sustain him and see him mature. But Lord, we want to bring people with us. And Lord, we were challenged Sunday after our life on earth is over, we have no other opportunity to, to preach the gospel, to see people get saved, to bring people with us to the bread of life, the living water. So, Lord, would you help us tonight begin this journey this year to be on mission with your vision, to be focused and intentional like you were in so many of your disciples that we read about in the Bible. Thank you, Lord. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Please be seated. So, back in Luke... Um, chapter 24, Jesus gives um, a very clear understanding of what the life of a disciple is going to be after he is in heaven. In Luke chapter 24, he says unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. So Jesus made it clear that after he's gone, those that have followed him and those that have listened to him and those that have uh, heard him preach and teach and witnessed all the miracles, they are to be witnesses. And I believe we understand what witnesses are. In fact, if we were to look at a definition, you could come up with a few, um, whether you Google it or Wikipedia, it, whatever you do, or look at the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, uh, just uh, a a definition of witness is someone who attests to a fact, something that's known, or an event that has taken place. We would call it a testimony. Uh, one that would go to a courtroom and give evidence, verbal evidence, or present evidence, or one who has personal knowledge of something. And so being a witness in, in that sense applies to what it means to be a believer in Christ. Uh, we've been called to attest to the facts of our Lord's sacrifice on the cross. Uh, if we're saved, we have personal First-hand knowledge of what it means to be saved, to, have a, to be saved by Christ's power. And also we can give evidence based upon our relationship with Christ. We can present evidence to people uh, in, in the everyday courtroom of our lives. And there's one man in the Bible, of course there are many, but we're looking at one man tonight uh, whose life was truly a witness, one that we could emulate. Uh, this man had an impact upon people who watched him and listened to him. Uh, he was faithful to speak truth. He was faithful to be a witness for Jesus. And no doubt, this man had an impact on many lives, but there was one life that was truly changed radically by this man's personal witness. I believe you know who he is. His name is Stephen. We can learn a lot of lessons from Stephen. Who is Stephen? Who is this man that was firmly rooted in Christ and before we kind of dive into this, I want to take a minute just or a moment to refer to the verses in chapter five, because it's important. I believe this helps us get a picture of what the first century New Testament church was like and what their leadership was like. If you were to look at verse uh, in chapter five, verse twenty nine, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them 
that obey him. And listen, this is, this is the leadership of the church. They're being called, they're being called into question for what they've been preaching. And here's, here's what the response was to what uh, Peter and the others said. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. That was the atmosphere. That's what it was like to be a Christian back then. You publicly lived your life for Christ. You were a dead man. You had a target on your back. People were after you. They were after your life. They wanted you to bleed and die because you were loyal to Christ. I don't know if Stephen followed Jesus before this time, but we know this. This was the uh, culture. This was the atmosphere. These were his leaders and this is the kind of man that Stephen was molded into. God uh, let Stephen mature to be a full man of faith and power. And so that was one of the first attributes you read in, in verse 8 about Stephen was that he was a man full of faith. Uh, to be a witness like Stephen, and, and I'm not calling for us to be martyrs in the sense of let's do this today. I, I'm not saying that that couldn't happen to us, but as witnesses for Christ, there are key characteristics that we ought to want and have in our lives when inventory is taken of us. And being full of faith means that people, we want God to use us. We have a desire to see God use us. We're not confident in ourselves, but we are confident in the Lord. And we're dependent upon Him, not upon ourselves. When, when we are like Stephen, we have full, uh, a person full of faith, we know that not everybody's going to listen, but some people will, and some people will get saved. Those of us who lack faith, we would maybe not say it out loud, but we would say, God can't use me, and no one's going to listen to me. But that's not who Stephen is, and that's not who God wants us to be. We're reminded in Hebrews eleven six, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Stephen, Stephen was a man full of faith, and he was also a man full of power. Verse 8, Stephen, full of faith and power. We don't have the power in and of ourselves. That power only comes from one place, and that is God in us. Uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 7, there's an uh, important verse I came across that um, I never looked at before this way, uh, but it says that, uh, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. What is this treasure? Well, verse six tells us that uh, it is the light to shine out of darkness. And this light has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in us, God in us, and we're the earthen vessel. Maybe we're not much. Maybe we're, we're not, uh, in a sense, beautiful to look at. But God is in us, and it's the excellency of His power. His presence is the treasure that's in us, the earthen vessel. And when we yield to the Holy Spirit, we accomplish not what um, we can do, but what God can do through us. So not only was Stephen full of faith, uh, full of power, uh, Stephen also was a man who had wisdom. I didn't read these verses, but let's look at verse 9 and 10 in chapter 6. He's getting ready to dispute with some religious leaders. And, and these men are well educated. And we're not really told 
what kind of education Stephen had or if any, uh, but that doesn't limit God in his life. But look at verse 9. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Uh, one, one commentator said this. He said, the religious leaders were not pleased to hear preaching that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. They wanted him dead. Stephen was so well-versed in scriptures that he presented his arguments with such impelling reasons, the religious leaders were speechless. Synagogue leaders were silenced and flustered in his presence. The case for Jesus Christ made, the prophets, made by the prophets and fulfilled in his in- incarnation were flawless. And this was most likely the synagogue that, that uh, Paul knew as Saul at this time would have been a student of. But um, his, his wisdom outdid even the scholars of his day because he, he, had, he was well-versed in scriptures. He, he was a man of wisdom. And we know that wisdom is first having knowledge of God. And not only was he full of faith and full of power and full of wisdom, Stephen is also known to have had an irresistible spirit. Uh, He was not, in verse 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. And this tells us that he had a great attitude. He had a wonderful disposition. They were not able to resist his uh, his outward display of truth. Proverbs remind us, a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Two other men come to mind when you think about an excellent spirit that we could look at, and, and Stephen even preaches about this man, Joseph. Uh, Joseph was one who was mistreated uh, dearly. In fact, Stephen tells us in uh, chapter 7, verse 9 about Stephen, that um, the patriarchs moved with envy. Those are Joseph's brothers, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. And delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh. Another man that was known to have an excellent spirit was Daniel. Uh, This Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because he had an excellent spirit in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Uh, Curtis Hudson uh, used to say this. I I never heard him, but his his, uh, quotes are a lot of books that I read. He says, it's not your aptitude, but your attitude that determines your altitude. So where, where are we getting at with this, these qualities of Stephen? Full of faith, full of power, um, full of wisdom, excellent spirit. Well, I think it boils down to a practical application for us today. And I remember pastor trying to uh, get me to understand this uh, probably a couple of years ago. Ask God to enable you to exude the joy and enthusiasm that evidence a relationship with him. Stephen didn't endeavor my own imagination, my sanctified imagination. I don't think Stephen just woke up and said, no, I'm going to purpose to be a man full of faith. He could have. I'm going to purpose to be wise. I'm going to purpose to have these virtues. I believe it was simply a result of someone who lived intentionally, to serve Christ. 
He'd been saved by Jesus. He had watched his brethren uh, maybe be persecuted. And he wanted to be a billboard of God's grace. And when I look at that statement, to pray, to ask God to exude us, me, you, the joy and enthusiasm, I know that, I know that there's, that's intentionality. But I hope that none of us tonight have to work up or try to work up that this would be something that overflows out of our own lives. That we look at who we were before we met Christ. We see the goodness, the greatness, the kindness that Christ has uh, poured out on our lives. And we're just enthusiastic. We're just joyful that he would do that for me. That the God of the universe who spoke this universe into existence, as we sing that one song, the God that I serve, the voice of creation speaks to my heart just the same. That that would be us. Um, We teach the children this song. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Now, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, but I, I have some seriousness behind this. Um, and pastors always urging us. In fact, in our academy, we're teaching, have been teaching our students um, soft skills. Speak first. Don't let anybody cross your path without saying hello first. Look people in the eye. Shake their hand. Choose joy. Oh, and by the way, let your face know that you just chose joy. And we're trying to teach our kids that, our, our students. But first they start with the staff, and so we have to be mindful. And can I just say, Canaan Baptist Church, um, we want to we bring you over to the Canaan Baptist Academy uh, Virtue Locker and help some of us out because let it not be said of us that we don't let people cross our path without speaking first, that Amen. we don't call people by their name and say, good morning, good evening, Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so, or you call the child by their name, or that we do choose joy. And there's a lot of reasons in our day that we would come to church and not be, maybe, maybe there'd be a reason, but that we, for the next hour and a half, we're just going to choose joy because there could be a life in here that just needs to see the smile on your face because you chose joy because they could be having a lot worse day. And that we would, uh, on, and this next one is listening. That's a big one. We're teaching people to listen. Imagine that. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So this whole week and going on, we're teaching people how to listen. I guess what I'm getting at is whether it's in Scripture, Stephen and many like him, because of what Christ had did in their life, they just overflowed with a life that communicated outwardly that, man, I am, I'm excited about what God's doing. I know tomorrow someone can take my head off, but today I'm rejoicing. I don't know about you, but no one's taking my head off yet. But I tell you, that message that pastor preached Sunday got me to thinking, well, what if the tide turns in our government? What, what if? It could, it could happen like that. Right. And, and I know that we're, we're looking at the rapture. That's the next event on our eternal timeline. Uh, but there's no guarantee that things are just hunky-dory and safe for all of us. And so let's not wait until... Uh, it's time to play that we tune our instruments. Let's get ready right now.
And let's, let's ask the Lord to help us be a Stephen and exude this joy and enthusiasm. So as we focus on Stephen, let's also focus, let's take a moment and look at this mob, these people that he was talking to, because it's important to see um, what, what caused all of this to, to, to be noticed about Stephen. It wasn't as if um, this was a normal day for him. Uh, no, if we look in, we're looking in uh, verse, I read verses 9 and 10, but look at this crowd. These are, these are um, uh, scholars. They're, they're the same people that he'll preach to in a moment that says they, they slayed the Lord Jesus Christ. But these were men who uh, hired false witnesses in verse 11 to come and speak blasphemous words against Stephen, saying that he had spoken out against Moses, he had spoken out against God. Uh, these, these men of the synagogue had stirred up the people and elders and scribes, and they came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. And they ceased not to speak blasphemous words against, or they're, they're talking about Stephen. He ceased not to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. And all that sat in the council looking steadfast on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. This mob, false accusers, False witness, they're breaking, by the way, they're breaking God's law because you're not supposed to lie against your neighbor. They're doing that. They're justifying their means to, a, to an end that they want to see uh, happen to them. Jesus even uh, spoke out against these men. He says, full well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. Now listen, what, what were they so threatened by? Um, they were so uh, in, in, enamored and they had embraced their their culture and their religious practices so much that when Christ came to fulfill all of that, they no longer needed to hang on to that. They now had the real thing. They had Christ. Everything that they, they did was to show forth a man who did come. And so they're threatened that they're preaching and that you, they're probably thinking, wait, this grace and liberty thing, are you crazy? It's going to be anarchy around here. There's not going to be any rules or customs or traditions. And, and they're forgetting that, well, wait a minute. God's living inside of them. Uh, these people aren't wanting a free pass to live life as they want. They want to, th yes, th there's no more. Maybe there's fewer customs. Maybe we're not doing it this way. But God's now moved inside of their life. And, and they want to please God. And they want to live free. And they want to live for Christ. And, and so it's, it's not that bad, guys. Okay, uh, just, just, just ease up. But no, they wanted uh, they didn't want anything to change. They wanted their customs. They wanted what Moses had put in place. And, and they're threatened. And so now that turns into anger. And notice uh, Stephen's response to all of this. Verse 15. They saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Despite the stirring up of the crowd to create a violent situation, Stephen responded with grace and confidence. Stephen did not recoil in fear. He didn't retaliate in vengeance. He didn't become adversarial. He was filled with grace. They didn't see horror on his face. They didn't see hate. They were, in fact, they saw, in a sense, Jesus. Because in 1 Peter 2 and verse 23, we read this or on Sunday, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So what was Stephen's message to, on this day? He's 
A man full of faith, full of power, he's wise, he has an irresistible spirit. In this tumultuous event, he's being, no doubt, he's feeling the heat, if we could say it that way. He's feeling the threatenings, he's hearing them, he's pressed. As far as we know, he's by himself, he's outnumbered. 10 to 1, 20 to 1, 30 to 1. Of course, God's on his side. What's his message? If we look in chapter 7, there's, we're not going to read all of his message. But here's what he preached. He told them how Abraham followed God by faith without a physical temple to go to. He reminded them how Joseph was rejected by his brothers, likening him to Jesus and Stephen being rejected also. He reminded them how Israel had rebelled against Moses and the other prophets of God to chase and serve idols. He reminded them that the Jews' relationship with God was not dependent upon a building or its customs and traditions. After reviewing their history with them, Stephen spoke honestly about their hypocrisy. They accused Stephen of disrespecting the holy place of God. Stephen turned around and said, you've resisted the Holy Spirit. Stephen was accused of speaking out against Moses and he said, you killed the Messiah. Stephen was accused of blasphemy against the law. He told them, you're breaking the law. And in the middle of the accusations, an increasing angry mob, Stephen did not back down from pointing out their guilt. So not only was Stephen someone who exuded joy and enthusiasm in his life, the second thing I want us to see about him is that he didn't back down in exposing the guilt in the sinner so that they could get saved. And that's key for us this year, is that when we're on mission with God's vision, and we want to lovingly and kindly share the gospel with everyone that we can, and that God's leading us to, and we want to focus on God's love, but if we don't have the courage to point out sin in their life, that they're a sinner, that they need forgiveness, that they're guilty before God, that they're under condemnation. If we don't do that, and if they don't understand that they're guilty, then why would they want to ask for forgiveness? Why would they need a Savior if they're not understanding the true fact of their, their lost state? We witness, we must expose the guilt of the sinner. And listen, Stephen wasn't cruel or mean. You can't, you can't maintain the face of an angel and, and preach mean and vicious and ugly but he was confident, as I said before, and he didn't back down from the truth and he didn't sugarcoat it either. He was deliberate and intentional in what he said. And I believe in the heart of Stephen, he wasn't saying this to get back at him, to give him the jab. He sincerely knew that they were lost. They killed the Messiah and they needed to hear the truth. We already read at the beginning that there were priests that got saved. Couldn't these men be saved also? One did get saved. If we read the rest of the book of Acts, in two more chapters, we see the life of Saul is radically changed. So why did this angry crowd react the way they did? Because the Bible says in Acts 7 and verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They were cut to the heart they could have repented, but they did not. They were angry. You know, when the Bible talks about this gnashing of teeth, it usually means 
someone who is in hell or they're in torments. And, and two of them could be the same. So these religious leaders were filled with hatred from the enemy. And as far as we know, they were not convicted. I mean, they were convicted, but they were not converted, but for one man. And as we look at the outcome of this, this man, Stephen, and his message preached to this mob, let's look at the two outcomes. Number one, sadly, Stephen was murdered. Verse 57 of chapter, or verse 57 of chapter 7, Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Isn't it so sad that these religious leaders, these men, plugged their ears like little kids, but they assaulted him with power like an adult to kill him? They weren't rejecting Stephen. They were refusing Christ. They were rejecting Christ because Stephen's words were true. Jeremiah 29, 19, Because they have not hearkened to my word, saith the Lord, which I sent unto them by my servants, the prophets rising up early and sending them, but ye would not hear, saith the Lord. But it is amazing, just a few moments before Stephen dies, he looks up and he sees the Lord Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. Jesus promised his presence to anyone who is a witness for him. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Pastor preached to us, this is a reality. This wasn't a vision that Stephen saw. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that Jesus was standing just in a sense saying, Stephen, I see you. I see, what you're, I see your witness for me. I see your persecution. I see your death. I see you, Stephen. I'm with you always, even until the end of the world, even to the end of your life. He was not alone. Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Dear friend, it, it might seem that no one <laughs> notices what you do. It might seem that whatever ministry you may be involved in, whatever service you can, can give, whether it be big or small. Listen, it's not, whether, it's not the size. If God is leading you by His Spirit to serve Him in small ways, big ways, little things, big things, listen, it is important. It has an eternal impact. And He does not forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward His name, and that you minister to the saints and do minister. We're, we uh, we aren't serving to be noticed, but by one person. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. If, and, and, but I'm not saying that we shouldn't encourage people also. That doesn't mean that's not without happening. But if that's all we're doing, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll be empty. Man's words only go so far. But when we spend time with the Lord and we're putting a smile on His face because we're endeavoring to honor Him, that means something. It means something to us. It fills us like nothing else can fill us, knowing that we're doing what he's asked us to do, what he's commanded us to do. Jesus takes notice of his children's testimony for him. When we make sacrifices for Christ, when we stand and speak for him in boldness, 
Christ notices us. The second outcome is my favorite, and that's verse 58. And um, it says, when they cast him out of the city and stone him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul was the closest to Stephen's stoning that, that we at least have biblical record of. As I said earlier, if you read the next two chapters, you read about Saul getting saved. Saul was finding gratification that this blasphemer was getting what he deserved. Stephen, you're getting what you deserve. You deserve to die. You've spoken out against God. You've, you've threatened our way of life as Jews. You're trying to take away all that we know and have as a Jewish nation. But he watched Stephen die with grace and compassion. And no doubt, this had an impact on Saul. He heard Stephen cry out. He heard Stephen ask the Lord not to charge this sin to their account. And he watched Stephen die. Saul wrote later, Paul, when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. I often wondered sometimes if the, the uh, 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 Paul would say he was buffeted by Satan, a uh, thorn in the flesh. I often wondered sometimes if it may have been the memories of moments like these because he consented to so many deaths up until his day of salvation. I often wonder if that may have been what was, he was dealing with, is just knowing, uh, you know, having, having recollection of those. I don't know, that's just my own personal thought. Um, but we may, the, the point I want to make here is that we may never know the impact of our witness on others. As far as we know, Stephen didn't even know Saul's name. Saul's just in the crowd. He's watching all of this take place. But he, Saul is close enough. He can hear, he can see Stephen's life. He can see Stephen's life in on this earth for Christ. So small or great, anyone who is led of the Spirit to witness for Christ will make an eternal difference. Saul heard Stephen forgiving those. On his way to heaven, he's forgiving those who had killed him. So what's this third point I'm getting at here? Um, not only are we to have joy, exude joy and enthusiasm as Stephen would have, or be brave and confident enough to point out the sin of the lost so that they can get saved, but that our lives as Christians will be inconsistent with what's around us. Our actions will cut across the grain of culture. Listen, the moment, the moment Stephen died right here, he left a bloody body, and in a moment, he's got an incorruptible body. He's with the Lord Jesus Christ. There would have been no other way to be closer to the way of Jesus than to be a witness. Witnessing, of, witnessing to the world of God's love and God's salvation. So we're called to be witnesses. Like I read in the beginning with Luke chapter 24. We are witnesses. As believers, we are indeed called to be witnesses for Christ in, in many ways. Number one, we can share the facts. We can share the gospel message, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is our core testimony. This is the ultimate truth of Christ's sacrifice for sin. It's just, oftentimes, maybe it is just sharing facts. But also it's our personal testimony. It's the personal knowledge that we have. And I hope we haven't forgotten that, that it is, it is our personal testimony. 
Your salvation, what God did for you, is unique and individual to you. How you came across the Lord, who, who led you to Christ, how you got saved, what your life was like before Christ, what it is now. How, how has Christ changed my life? How has He impacted me today? It's, uh, Pastor was so correct. He said, many of us, it's been a long time since we've shared the gospel shared our personal testimony with someone. And I'm right there with you or anyone that may want to be transparent enough to say that. It's a whole lot easier to give a tract when you're in a hurry. Kind of get you off the hook. Give them one. (laughs) And really, I believe we should seize opportunities where we can take time and really talk to people and get to know them. We're not really that busy. We think we are. In daily living, sharing the facts of the gospel, our personal testimony, our daily living, kindness, compassionate, forgiving. Uh, these Christ-like qualities are powerful examples. And, you know, we may not face a literal courtroom, but maybe if we thought about it, we could live like our life's on trial. When we're interacting with people, when we're having conversations, Maybe the way we conduct ourselves. You know, in, in the Marine Corps, um, we called it military bearing. So uh, in, in anyone in the military probably had heard that. You'd, you'd, you'd hear your superiors remind you, hey, mind your bearing. Keep your bearing. What, is, what does that mean? Remember who you are. Remember where you are. Don't forget who you are. Uh, this isn't the time and place to act that way, to say those things. I don't know if there's a spiritual bearing, but uh, it ought to be uh, what, we, what we think about is maintain your bearing. Um, you know, <laughs> I almost want to say, you always hear the drill instructor. Hey, devil dog, don't lose your mind. That's what they would say. Don't lose your mind. Remember who you are. <laughs> and I'm closing here. Um, these are three takeaways from tonight's message. Would we pray and ask God to enable us to exude the joy and enthusiasm that evidence a relationship with Him? That this outward expression of the genuine love for Christ that's on on the inside of us would be outward. When we witness, we must expose the guilt of the sinner in love. If sinners are not shown how they're guilty, there's no reason to turn to Christ for salvation. If someone isn't guilty, there's no need for forgiveness. And lastly, Rest assured, living for Christ will be inconsistent with our culture. You don't even have to work at it. Just the fact that you want to serve Christ, love Christ, speak like Christ, live like Christ, act like Christ, be rooted in love and truth, it's going to cut across the grain of societal norms. We're going to stand out. You're going to, you're going to stand out. You're going, to be, you're going to highlight yourself. You're going to skyline yourself. And just embrace that. That means that you're living the life that Christ would want you to live. Not because we're, we're weird or anything, but just simply because we're wanting to please the Savior. If you would, let's stand for a moment of invitation here.